Okay, uh, my name is Michael Singer. I am the pastor here at our Lake Norman campus. I know that might be hard to believe, but I am. Um, and so hey, we're glad to have you here with us today. If you are new to Freedom House, we have multiple locations, but one of the things that we do is we have a teaching team. So we like to connect where our pastors have a vision, and we've had this always in our church. We want people to connect and feel connected to. And so it's one of the ways that, uh, one of the avenues that we've decided and our pastors decided to just make a connection, to be able to look face-to-face. Hey, Clark, good to see you, buddy. Hey, Malia, good to see you holding that baby and everything that you're about to have. They already got one. Sorry, but that's the connection, (laughs) is that I get to sit up here and talk to people and make them feel awkward and weird. Uh, But I I love our pastors for it, and I always like to just take a moment and honor them for all they do for their vision. So give them a hand clap and just thank our senior pastors. So before I get into the message, I woke up this, well, I was getting ready this morning, and I knew, I looked a while back at the future cast on my weather, and I knew it was supposed to cool back down. It's North Carolina. It can get warm, but you just can't trust it till you get to like May or June. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking, and I pull up my weather app, because I was like, well, I want to see how cold it is, because I was beginning to do the treacherous task of running through what am I going to wear to church today, because I hate thinking through clothes. So I was thinking through, and I was thinking about maybe a short sleeve, and I was like, well, let me see how cold it is. So I pull up and I look, and there's a little symbol. I don't know how your app is, but there's a little symbol, and it was a snow symbol. I have some different cities that I like to look at their weather, some places I've been. One of the places that I've gone to is, or been to is Alaska. I love Alaska. I'll look at their weather just to see what I'm missing out on sometimes. I literally thought, I must be on Alaska's thing because there's a snow symbol. And I look, I'm like, this is Concord. And then I opened the door outside, and I said, well, it's not snowing, but it's cold and it's raining, so I can see. So welcome to North Carolina. If you're new here, this is how it goes down. Just throw on 45 layers of clothes and hope for the best and see how it works out. One of the things we do as a church is we will have a series, a topic that we're looking at, kind of a broad main topic we're looking at throughout each month, uh, and then we'll do messages based off of that theme. Uh, If you were here last month, we had a, a great topic of a solid ground And this month, we're in a series called Firm Foundation. Now, if you're like me, I think a simple, easy question is, Michael, what the heck is the difference? Solid ground, firm foundation, aren't those really synonymous? Well, here's the delineation that we're uh, talking about and utilizing in these two series. Solid ground is about us choosing to build our life, so a lot of our relational life, our family and everything, on God's solid ground. Firm foundation is about all the the tools that we have at our disposal to continue to build. And I love what Brooke said about their cabin because I think it's a great example of this series is how do we upkeep? How do we continue to have strength in our life and our foundation? These tools that we're talking about, if you were here last week, uh, last Sunday, Pastor Penny talked about community and confession, did an excellent message on that. But these are things that we don't just do one day and go, I got it, I'm done. They're things that are always at our disposal and we have a choice. Some days I don't use some of these tools, some days I do, but we want to talk about these tools that God has given us, that he's laid out in his word, that we have access to, that he's saying, hey, please use this, it'll help you build on your strong, solid ground, it'll help you build a firm foundation for your livelihood and in in your individual life. So this series is not a series to think about who needs to hear this or somebody beside you that they need to grow in this area, this is really about us. It's about a self-assessment going, I need to work on this area, or this is a tool that maybe I've picked up sometimes, maybe I've laid down, maybe I need to pick back up, or just to go, you know what? That tool has been very instrumental in my relationship with God and in building my life. Uh, Probably about 14, 15 years ago, Jalea and I stumbled across uh, something that became a principle in our life, something that we lived by. 
Uh, I don't remember the exact time. Uh, my memory's not that great, but it's been a long time. And I'm pretty sure we didn't think of this on our own. I really think it just happened, and we said, oh, my gosh, that is good. We have a principle that whenever we take vacation, that if we, especially if we go somewhere, that we always have a full day back at home before we get back to the regular things of life, the work, the homeschool, all that stuff. A full day. We don't come back, get home at 2 p.m., and then turn around and go back into work because by a show of hands, how many of you have ever felt or heard somebody make the statement, I need a vacation from my vacation? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar, and we're going to talk about that today. <laughs> I felt that. I need a vacation from my vacation. But we started that principle, and man, it was a game changer. And it got reiterated to us on how big of a game changer it was and how important it was when about eight years ago, we were on a camping trip because one of the things we would try to do each year is go camp in a tent. I know. We have a good life and it's better than yours, so <laughs> no. Go camp in a tent. It'll change your life. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so we're on this, <laughs> this camping trip in this tent. And we're having a good time, and we've come to the last day, because anytime you do vacation, the last day always comes away too quickly. We're on the last day, and we're, it's the last day because we still have a full day. We're going to go home and have that full day. We look at each other and like, you know what? I know we have this guideline, but let's just stay an extra day. And we did. <laughs> Boy, we looked at each other after we got home and got back to work, got back to everything. We said, never again will we do that. Because that extra day, just to get clothes done, just to relax, get back in your own house and your own rhythms, is paramount. Now, I know sometimes life happens and you can't gauge or make that day happen. But as, as much as it depends on the singer household, when it comes to having that extra day, we're going to do it. Because it literally is extremely changing and is just brilliant and beautiful and has such magnitude for us feeling like we're refreshed and can take on and get back to the normal things that God has put and given us in our life. So today, I want to talk about rest. And when it comes to real rest, and the rest I'm talking about is the type of rest that God desired and designed for us so that we can have this tool that really helps us build on the foundation of our life, something that really helps us in our life and our relationship with God. When we talk about this kind of rest, there's a question that I think we all have to ask. It's a question that I've learned to ask. The question is, am I running to or am I running from? Am I running to or am I running from? This question for me birthed about sometime within the last year time frame. I was talking to a gentleman. He's a coach, and his main ministry is he loves to, to coach and do ministry with people who are in full, on full-time staff and in ministry themselves. And he was talking with me, and our conversation led to him asking me, I don't know if he used the word rest, but he said, hey, Michael, how do you wind down? What do you like to do? You know, do you have the ability to, to break away and just get away from work and everything? And I work at the church. I'm on staff at the church. And for me, I was like, yeah, no problem. I mean, I, I buzz around and do a lot. People used to always ask me, Michael, do you ever, like, just slow down and stop? I'm like, yeah, literally, I could walk into my door, and I could turn it off. It's a brilliant gift. Or sometimes for Jalay, it's not so brilliant. But I, I was like, yeah, man, no problem resting. What do you, what do, you do? 
Man, I love to, I like to veg out on a show, get in a good series and watch something. I love to go out in nature. Uh, I love to hunt, love to fish, love to do all those things. I do all that. And then he began to challenge me. He said, Michael, that's cool that you do all that, but have you ever asked yourself, are you doing those things to connect with God or escape all the drama of life? And man, that question hit me hard because I knew I had been in a season where I was doing those things that were rest, but I was just running from all the drama of life. I was running from just being tired, man. Like, gosh, just don't talk to me. I was just running from all those things. Like, if I could just shut down and get away from all the, this gotta be done, that's gotta be done, all the stuff, if I could just run away from it, then I'm good. I feel like I'm resting. And he challenged me, which led me to the question of, man, Michael, are you really running from or am I really running to God? When I go out in nature, am I seeing it as an opportunity to get rejuvenated in God's presence? When I'm hanging out with my family, we were just on vacation at the beach, am I really just enjoying my family and just engaging God with the time I have with my family? When I go to his word, am I engaging with him? Am I taking a moment to just stop, put everything down, and to really engage and rest? And that question led me to a principle that I feel like is really the foundation. It's one of the key things about rest that I want us to talk about today. And that's the fact and the reality that rest is sacred. It's sacred. It's not just something to do. It's not just something to put on your calendar. It's not just, oh, I wish I could do that. I need to do that. It really is sacred, and it's sacred to God. Whether we see it or not, God sees it and intended for it to be a sacred, set-apart thing that's extremely important, that has huge magnitude in our life. We see it from the very beginning. God created everything. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, it says, On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. That means set apart. It means he said this is going to be a sacred thing for everyone because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The God of the universe, the God that doesn't exist within our little finite minds of time, the God that looks at us and says, my ways, Michael, are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your ways. Michael, I see the beginning from the end. Michael, I know everything. I am the God of the universe. And after I created and did all these great works, every day I said, this is good. This is good. This is good. This is good. I rested. Because that can't continue to be good if I don't rest and get some good and some refreshing inside myself. When I was studying this, there was a statement that was made by someone. He says, when find, uh, we find rest by not keeping the Sabbath, but by remembering it is a gift that God has given us. I love the freedom of that because it reminds me that the Sabbath is not really about a particular day or anything dealing with legalistic thought. The Sabbath is about how rest was designed for us, and it's sacred, and it's set apart. And God said it's holy. Jesus even echoed that, that statement I just read to you. Jesus himself said the same thing. In Mark chapter 2, he's walking with his disciples. They come through this grain field. The grains have blossomed and they're ready to eat. So they start plucking the grains off and eating them on the Sabbath. And the religious people see them and they say, no, no, no. 
the law says that you can't do any work or eat on the Sabbath. So you are breaking the law. Your disciples are breaking the law. And I love what Jesus said to them. And this is a brilliant statement. And it echoes and it shows us how sacred and important rest is. He says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Meaning that rest was intended for us. Don't get wrapped up in all the details of it. it needs to be like this, like this. It's all about the connection with God. It's all about the rest. It's all about who are we running to? Am I running from the things of life or am I really running to God? In Exodus, um, God lays out and reminds us and says a lot of things about this rest and about the Sabbath that really reveal how important and how sacred it is. Exodus 31, 12 through 17, he's giving Moses the law to share with the people these guidelines that are going to help people in life, the Israelites. And he says, and the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout the generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you and set you apart. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. It's sacred. It's set apart. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy, set apart to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant, as a covenant, a a death, a sacrifice of binding relationship as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. If somebody came to me and said, Michael, we have this electronic device that we've installed on your car. Uh, It's around the motor housing of your car. You can't remove it. It's there for good. But it has a way of communicating with the speed limit signs on any road you're on. And so the car knows exactly what the speed limit is. And, Michael, if you go one mile per hour over that speed limit, your car is going to explode. When death becomes involved, you tend to choke up. I wouldn't even try to get close to the speed limit, which is not my norm. Usually a little over. But it's amazing whenever something has a magnitude of death, you begin to understand the significance and importance of it. That's what God is saying. He said, hey, look, this Sabbath day is very sacred. (laughs) You might not get it, but I get it. I understand how beneficial it's going to be for you. And I need you to understand. I need everybody to understand that I'm laying this guideline out because it's so sacred that you will end up killing yourself along the way if you don't take hold of it now. Jesus was the greatest example of understanding how sacred rest and getting away was. Jesus performed all these miracles. He did so many miraculous things. But I love the moments where it says Jesus did all these miracles and healed many. And then the next morning, he got away to a desolate place and he spent time with God. Jesus understood that no matter how great he was, he couldn't continue to be great. He couldn't continue to give everything that the people needed that God had put him there to give if he did not take time to rest. So cool. We understand, and Michael, you're talking about that this whole Sabbath thing is sacred. All right, I got it. For me, 
this, past, this last year when that guy talked to me about that, that really clicked for me. It had never clicked at that level for me at that depth. It clicked for me, and I'm still working on it and trying to grow and get better at it, but it clicked. So maybe it clicked. It's sacred. What do we do with that? I think another principle, once we realize it's sacred, is that rest involves strategy. We have to understand that rest is going to take strategy. If you've ever, like, spent the whole day cleaning up your house, working, maybe you're, you know, spring's coming up, maybe you do a big spring cleaning, or you're working out in the yard, or maybe you've worked hard at work, or maybe you've been out lifting, helping someone do something, maybe you're working out. There's just a natural principle, especially if you work out. There is a principle. If you want to build muscle, working out tears it down, so there has to be rest for it to have the time to build back up. It's a natural principle. Yesterday, I want to tell you what my day was like. So I woke up about, we well, woke up early, but 6.30, me and the boys left the house and we headed to Central Campus for our strong men's breakfast. Come on, strong men. Who was there for breakfast? Yeah. <laughs> Got a dog bark. Strong men's breakfast. Wonderful time, brilliant time, men together, presence of God. It just was good. Well, I had to leave after the, the music part of worship. Didn't get to hear Pastor Troy's message. The reason why I had to leave is because I jetted home. I had already laid out my clothes in preparation for where I had to go next. I laid out a suit. I literally walked in, took clothes off, changed, and I drove down to be with a young lady who had unexpectedly lost her mom. Went to a funeral service. Getting that funeral service, it's over. I leave there. I get back to my house taking clothes off, putting other clothes back on because my middle son, who's a part of trail life, he had to earn one of his badges, a swimming badge. They were doing a gathering. So we jetted right to that. I mean, I literally changed clothes. Come on, Jonah. I was yelling at him. I told you to get ready, man. Come on, we got to go. We head out. We go to this swim thing for him to do some stuff to get a badge. I leave there. We go back home. We hop back in the car with my wife, other two kids, and we head to a family member's house to have dinner. This is my day. I share that, not because of the day. I share that because everybody in here has had at least a day like that. And if not a day, you've had a season of your life where months felt like you were nonstop going, nonstop going. We have to have a strategy. Because if we don't have a strategy, I'll, I'll guarantee you something. You know, David said, Pastor, he don't lie. Sometimes I do, but... I will guarantee you something. You can take it to the bank, cash it in. Life is going to try to choke out rest. <laughs> Life is not going to stop for you or for me. Life could care less about us. We have to care about our life enough to stop and rest and create a strategy. What I love about God, I've been listening, I've been doing the Bible in a year, and I've never done like a specific plan like this. Uh, I'm in Leviticus and all that, so I've been doing a lot of listening. If you've ever read Leviticus or been through any of those, um, it is all inspiring. <laughs> and I, I mean that funny, but seriously, I've enjoyed listening because it gives me a different perspective. It kind of helps me see the bigger picture a little better, uh, which has been helpful because it is ridiculous, like stupid, ridiculous, mind-boggling how many details God laid out just to try to protect the children of Israel. How many details he lays out of his guidelines just to try to look out for us, for us to have a life that is full. And as I was listening, I began to realize God is the ultimate strategist. 
Like he's not just like, oh, follow this plan. He's like, hey, follow this. And here's why and here's how. And I love, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to scrape the top of the surface. I'm going to read to you some scriptures in Exodus about his strategy behind rest and how important it is. Exodus 16, 22 through 23. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. This is a time where they've come out of captivity from Egypt. God is feeding them quail, <laughs> quail from heaven, and little flakes of bread that are on the grass when the dew dries up in the morning. So he's feeding them. So they gather twice as much on the sixth day. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath. There it is, set apart to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. Preparation, prepare, bake everything, boil everything. Because tomorrow I don't want you working. I want you to rest Prepare for yourself tomorrow. Exodus 23, 10 through 12. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow that the poor of your people may eat and what they leave the beast of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do work, but on the seventh day you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may have rest and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. This whole six years and let it rest was for all this stuff. But when you hear later in Leviticus, it was also so the, so the land could have a rest. Strategy. What I love about this specific strategy is that not only did it, was it to affect us, it was to affect all those around us, the donkeys, the servants, everything else. It was to affect everything around us. Exodus 34, 21, strategy. Six days you shall work. But on the seventh day, you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. How hard is it to rest when you know you got something unfinished? How hard is it to rest when you know there's something that feels very strongly like it's banking on the livelihood that you're walking through in life? In plowing and sowing, this was their livelihood. They farmed, like this was for them. This is like God saying, hey, don't send that email today. Just let it rest. Don't make that final, you know, sale on that house to get that commission. Just let it rest. It's a day that's supposed to be holy. You have to have a strategy. Pastor Troy uh, wrote a book called The Panic Room, and he wrote about uh, his struggle and his walk through understanding and been beginning to learn that he, his anxiety was creating these panic attacks. He didn't know what they were at first. Uh, and he found out this is what was happening. So he wrote a book about it, wrote about his journey. Pastor Troy would tell you right today that this is not something that he doesn't still have to walk and wrestle with and use these tools and principles that he's learned, but he's developed all these different tools, and one of the things he realized that he wrote in one of the chapters in the book about rest is he realized he wasn't resting, that he was going, 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 and he was doing everything, and he wasn't resting. And so he shares his journey of that, but at the end of talking about the things he had to learn and the things he had to do, he gives some specific strategy. He said that every seven days, he makes sure to have one day where he takes a rest. And for many of us, that might be a very familiar thing that we know, okay, God, you said take a rest, take one day. Every seven weeks, he tries to take a time off from where he's preaching, where he's just able to sit 
and enjoy and get refreshed, that his great communication gift and the platform God has given him and anointed him as a pastor and a leader and a senior pastor and like a CEO of this church, that he understands that every seven weeks I need to try to make sure I can rest. I know a lot of you don't have to stand up and preach, but what about your job? Maybe that means one day, every so often, you just take a day off. If I asked, there are probably a lot of us they don't use all of our vacation days, but I'll just let that sit. Every seven months, he tries to take a vacation. Now, you don't have to follow this guideline. This is not a, hey, this is in the Bible exactly like this. Now, the, the Sabbath, the resting out of seven days is very clear. But remember, it's not about legalism. It's about understanding that rest is sacred and that we have to create a strategy If it really is sacred and it's really set apart and it means that much to God, which should mean that much to us, that he's set apart for us to get something out of it, then we have to have a strategy. And the reason why we have to have a strategy is because rest is how we release. It's the tool that God has given us to be able to release from holding on to things in our lives, to release from trying to take control and feeling that everything, all the burden of life is on our shoulders and on our back. That if it's not going to happen, if it doesn't happen with us. In the 1840s and 50s, the population in New York City had pretty much quadrupled in size. And there was, in the 1850s, they wanted to do something with this 800 plus acres of land. They wanted to create like a park. And so they had this design competition for people to put out a diagram, a display of what they would put in this park area, in this 800 acres of land. And there were two gentlemen that teamed up and entered this competition together. Gentleman by the name of Frederick Olmsted, who basically was a horticulturist. He loved dealing with plants. He just knew a lot about that kind of stuff. It was part of not just his life. He just loved it and had a great mind and heart for horticulture. Another guy by the name of Calvert Vox, who was an architect, but also had done some landscape design and knew some of that. They teamed up and they presented this idea, this plan for this acreage, and they won. And it is a plan that we now know as Central Park. One of the most populated cities in America, known for its fashion, restaurants, business, the buzz, just the moving, just the crowded, people going to visit. In the midst of all that, Olmsted and Vox created a place of rest in the midst of all the busyness. What I love about that is that they didn't go to city council and everybody and say, hey, look, We just need to stop all these businesses. People just need to slow down. Just calm down. Don't do another business. Just get rid of some of these businesses. They said no. While all the chaos is going on around and the busyness of everything, we understand that people need a place. Our intent is for people to be able to get away and get refreshed in a place in the midst of everything going on around. Life is not going to stop being busy. So I had a question for you. Do you have a central park? Do you have a place that you can go and rest? Do you have ways that you can connect 
with your family? Do you have ways that you can go and engage with God and just appreciate the moments he's given you? Appreciate this fun thing you love to do. Maybe it's a talent. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's some sport, athletic thing, whatever it is, to appreciate the ability to go and just release and just to be refreshed. This statement I read um, in some of the stuff I was looking at said, engaging in the Sabbath helps us stave off the idol of productivity. I love that phrase because productivity is this great thing. But as great as it is, it can become an idol if we're not careful. I had to wrestle with this because for, I don't know, 15, 14, 15 years, part of my role on staff was that I was, I was over our pastoral care, but I also was over our facilities. And I loved doing stuff with my hands and being involved in things. And facilities, the beauty of it that I loved, also a challenge of it, is that facilities has a thread in every ministry team, every aspect of our church. When we would do events, facilities were right there with the events team doing a lot of stuff. And I love being in the mix. I love I'm not one to go, oh, let's figure out and vision and go down this. Like, you tell me what we want to do, and baby, I'm going to get in there, and we're going to do it. I want to help be a part. I want to be in the mix. Well, about four or five years ago, uh, they, it, it was time for me to begin to focus a little more on pastoral care, and this campus was going, and some people that were here as pastors over this campus, they were transitioning in their life and moving somewhere else, and so my attention needed to be more here as the pastor here, and uh, so they gave facilities over to this other gentleman who had been on facilities for a while underneath me. Great guy, Adam Malkai, wonderful friend, does a wonderful job with facilities. But I struggled. I mean, I struggled for a year or more in a few different areas with not having that role. But one particular area that I struggled with is not being in the mix, not being one of the guys who is involved in making stuff happen all the time. And I realized that there was a little bit of an idol for me in that productivity. And I've grown a lot and I've gotten a lot better after I recognized that and just realizing that, you know what? I'm not in the mix all the time. And I don't know everything that's going on. And it's okay. That's not my main function. I need to focus somewhere else and I need to be okay focusing somewhere else. But productivity can become an idol. When we read about David in the Bible, David was this brilliant king, heart, man after God's own heart. You know, Jesus came out of the lineage of David. David's this big figure in the Bible, the guy that brought down the giant, all this stuff. We, David's this great guy. But a, a large portion of David's reign, he had to war, and he had to battle, and he had to fight, and there was blood on his hands. So when God wanted to build a temple for himself, when he wanted David and them to build that temple, David couldn't do it because his life was all about warring. But he said this to David in 1 Chronicles 22, 9 about a son that would come. He said, behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. Solomon, because he found rest and was a man of rest and didn't have to deal with the warring of everything on around, he was the one that was able to build the temple for God. What's warring around in your head today? Am I going to get all this done? A lot of you right now, while I'm up here speaking, you're thinking about all the things you got coming up. You're thinking about what you got to go get done today. You're thinking about maybe how the rain has messed up your plans. You're thinking about, man, 
me and my spouse, we've just had a rough go recently. Are we going to be able to reconcile, get this back together? Is it going to be awkward at the house? My kids are doing this and doing that. I just wish they would listen and clean up stuff without me having to ask them. All these things are warring on our mind. My job is just heavy laden, and I'm just tired, man. They are pulling on me. It's a busy season in our company. Matter of fact, I don't even know if there's not a busy season in my company. It's just crazy nuts. All these things are warring on around us. And God is saying, will you just let me give you a Solomon? Will you stop all the warring and just let me give you a place of rest? Because you need to be refreshed. Harvard Medical School did a study, and they found that antidepressant usage by Americans was on the rise. In fact, it had gone up 400% since 1994. And they made a little note. They made a side note that said, 1994, by the way, was the pre-device era. I'm not a fan of social media and all that, and technology, I could do without it. I could literally go live somewhere remote. I don't know if I'd survive, but I could go live there. But as much as I, the king of, I can't do technology, the bickering old guy talking about technology, as much as I am that, you know what I do? I look at my phone a lot. I hear that text message go off, and I'm just trained to look to see what's going on to try to make sure stuff's happening or if I need to jump in and send somebody something. It's easy. Devices are just always there. And they've got our mind running so much and we're missing out on rest so much that people are becoming depressed and having depressed thoughts and antidepressants are going up and up and up and people are wrestling and people are struggling and the warring on our minds is constantly there and it never leaves and it never goes away. Here's what Psalm 62, 5 says. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. That rest, that silence, is a moment just to stop and just be refreshed. Just to thank God for being God. Thank God for that moment you have to be out playing golf, to be in there cooking your favorite meal, to be sitting down reading your book underneath the covers, curled up on a rainy day, to be watching that show with your family, to be hanging out just to be thankful and to fill back up, to be refreshed from all the busyness that is waiting right outside that door, that is waiting right outside that moment so that when we walk back into it, that our foundation is not torn down and that we can walk with authority we can walk with peace, and we can feel that refreshing moment by moment. The last thing about rest that I want to share is that rest is found in repentance. Rest is found in repentance. The children of Israel in the Old Testament, very much like me, you find them at many times going, we love you, God. We're chasing you. You're great. We're going to follow you. Oh, we don't care for you, God. We're going to chase this idol. We're going to do what these people are doing because what they're doing is cool. We're going to do our own thing. We don't care about your way anymore. We want to do it my way. Sounds a lot like me. I don't know about you, but it sounds like me. And I see this, and I can judge the Israelites from man. Why did I? They saw all this stuff. But if I ask myself the same thing, I've seen God do a lot in my life. I've seen his presence. I've felt his presence. Uh, I've just, I just know God is God, and nobody's going to talk me off that. And do you know that sometimes I choose my way over his way? So we get to the prophet Jeremiah. 
And the Israelites are in one of these moments where all this land and all this authority and this rulership and being over people and, and conquering and having this promised land, this place that God called the place of rest. The promised land was actually supposed to be a place of rest for them, that they had given it all up because they chose not to follow God. They said, my ways are better than your ways, God, and I'm going to do that. And we get to the prophet Jeremiah, and he says this in Jeremiah 6, 16. He says, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. In other words, he's saying, remember the God who loves you and designed you. Remember all the things that he laid out to help protect you in life. Remember how he told you that if you walk with him, though it may be tough, you'll experience his goodness, that those things that are fighting against you, he will go take care of them before you even have to deal with them. If you'll just come back and if you come back and you stop going to your way and you repent and you go back to his way, you will find rest for your soul. God is our source of rest. And Augustine said it like this, God has formed us for himself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. If you will, stand to your feet with me. I want to close with a passage of scripture in Matthew 11, but before I read it, I want to talk about a statement Jesus makes right before this, these verses I'm going to read. Jesus is talking and he says, the Father, talking about God, knows the Son. And then he talks about who knows God, the Father. And he first says, Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father. And then he includes another group who have the opportunity to know the Father. He says, and whoever I reveal the Father to, they also know him. Then he says this, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you will, close your eyes with me. When Jesus said that he would reveal the Father, and that's how we know the Father, and then he made this statement about, if you're heavy laden, take my yoke upon you. You see, when you change a yoke out on an oxen, you have to remove one to put the other one on. I believe what Jesus was saying is that that yoke of bondage and slavery that you have because of sin, will you take my yoke of freedom on you and release that? Because when you do, I'll introduce you to my Father, and that's where you'll find rest. You'll know that I'm gentle, and I'm humble of spirit and humble in heart, and you'll be able to walk in that, and that will begin to be a part of what you experience in your life and what you feel in my presence. He basically was offering a rest that we could have at any moment. Not to get rid of the strategic rest that we need to set up, because if we're not strategic about it, then that, does, that means we don't think it's sacred, we don't honor it. But he also was doing that because he's like, at any moment you can call on me because I'm gonna go die a death for that bondage you had of sin. I'm gonna go die that. If you repent and you turn from that sin and you pick my yoke and my freedom, then you can walk in peace as you are strategically allowing peace to be a part of your life. If you're here today 
And maybe you've never invited that rest into your life. Maybe you've never exchanged the yoke of your desire and your way and your thoughts. And you want to exchange that today? Then I want to invite you to do that, to make that decision. Maybe you're here and this idea of rest has been tough. Maybe it's something that either you didn't really understand how important and sacred it was to God, or maybe you realize that you haven't been utilizing that tool of rest and you want to begin to try to walk in and take steps to be better about rest. If any of that applies to you and you just need God's rest, I just want you to lift your hand up and say, God, I just need your rest. Will you just come? Will you be rest for me? I saw a lot of hands go up. Now, I want to ask you to do something. I talked about the difference between running from and running to, and I talked about being strategic about that. I want to do something strategic right now. If you raised your hand or you just feel like, man, I just, I just need rest, and I need to walk in that more, I want you to get out of your seat, and I want you to come stand right down here in front of this platform. Don't hesitate. Just get out. Once one of you does it, everybody's going to feel like coming, and just come down here. If you need rest, just come right down here. Don't hesitate. We're trying to produce. We're trying to do. We're trying to set goals. We're trying to do all this. There's nothing wrong with that stuff, but it's very easy to get lost in that stuff. It's very easy for the production, for the accomplishment, for all those things to bury us in life, and we don't get rejuvenated. We don't get the release that God intended. We don't find his rest. Now I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes if you're down here. If you want to do this where you're sitting, you can do it too. Some of these guys are already doing what I want you to do. I want you to hold your hands open. You can keep them down low by your side. I don't care. You can hold them up. But just hold your hands open if you're up here. Just hold them open. I'm going to get Chad to just play. So Chad, just play. And I want you to just let God's presence just be here and fill you up. Maybe you just need to take a deep breath. Just feel it. Just just breathe him in. Tangibly feel that release. God, we thank you. Forgive us, God, for not being still. For not setting aside the things of life resting in your presence. It's going to be hard, God, but I know you'll help me. Rest is something that you set apart, God. It's holy. It is sacred to you because you see us as holy and you see us as a sacred gift that you created, a a sacred relationship, Father. And you understand you understand the magnitude of rest as the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe. You rested to set as an example for us that yeah, we can do all things through Christ. We can be healed. We can pray and see chains drop off of people. We can do all these things. We can do even greater things, Jesus said, but we're not going to do any of that on a regular basis if we don't find your rest. So we just rest. We just receive. It's not our responsibility. We don't have to do it. 
we can just be a part of watching you do it. Change our families, change our relationships, change our outlook on life. Help us to see life differently, God. When we choose to rest, God, people are going to be refreshed and experience you in new ways just because of the rest. And you're going to do so much more. So, God, we thank you. I thank you for these people that desire that rest, that hold it sacred, and that want to walk it out in their relationship with you as they continue to build that firm foundation. We love you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Now, as they return to their seats, y'all can go back to your seats. Y'all give them a hand clap for just coming up here.